0: Verse 14 says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You may be seated. I'm talking about mature Christian practices tonight, and as Christians, uh, we ought to grow in our faith. Uh, Peter tells us to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and as we go on in years in our faith, we ought to be growing or maturing in our faith as well. And I've met a lot of Christians that sit in service after service, maybe even go to Sunday school, what have you, but they never really grow in their Christian faith. They never really mature as Christians. And uh, really, I believe maturity comes through serving you have to serve to begin to mature. I think sometimes you sit, soak, and sour, and you don't do anything, and nothing comes of that. But if you never serve the Lord, you never really grow in your Christian faith much at all. I remember the first time my pastor asked me to teach a Sunday school class. I thought I was going to pass out. And, uh, but he said, uh, I want to help you with it. I'm going to teach you how to do this. And, and, uh, and, and, and the thing of it is, is that as I began to read the Bible study the Bible, put lessons together, and go in and talk to other people about it, and I begin to grow in my own faith. And what happens is, is as you begin to serve God, you grow in your faith. You say, well, I've had a lot of people just disappoint me in my Christian life. I don't serve because people just disappoint me. Well, I'll tell you what, that causes you to grow in your Christian faith. <laughs> and when people disappoint you, find out Jesus was disappointed sometimes, wasn't he? When people would disappoint Christ, but he never stopped, he still went to the cross, didn't he? And so, I want to talk to you tonight really about growing in our Christian faith. If you look at this, Paul is clearly talking about duties of a Christian, but in this particular case, he's talking about maturing as a Christian and putting into effect those things which you have learned. And I believe the life that we lead in our homes, church, our community, they matter to the Lord, and we're taught by Paul some lessons here about our conduct one toward another. And so, our conduct speaks volumes about us, and even though... Uh, We may be able to put on a suit on Sunday, come into this church service, we can say the right words, behave the right way. It's not just about what you're doing while you're here, it's what you're doing while you're not here (laughs) that really matters as well. And and when I go in, conduct is our behavior or the way in which we are behaving, and whether in church or around other believers, in public, and by the way, even on vacation, you don't cease to be a Christian. (laughs) And so whether you're on vacation. Uh, We do not cease to be one, so we are told how to be at peace with one another, and this is a continuation of the action that he was talking about earlier in these other verses and how we live in our society. And I want to share this with you, and I, I really began to think about this verse, and of course we talk to children about this verse often, and I'm talking about maturing in your Christian faith. Think about this verse. Even a child is known by his, and we are a child of God, aren't we? And we're known by what we do. It's not just what we say that we do. We are known by what we do. And even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure or whether it be right. And think about your conduct outside of the realm of these walls. I was looking into some things. How many of you know who John Wooden is? He was uh, the coach out at UCLA, basketball coach won 10 NCAA championships. And he said at one point, he was talking to his players, and he said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation. And he made this statement. He said, because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Right? Just what other people think I am. But he made this statement. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one else is watching. (laughs) And when nobody else is watching, what are you when nobody else is watching? Now, I read that and I thought, well, man, that's that's really good. But I began to think about this. When others are observing your conduct, what's your character like? You see, we get caught sometimes, don't we? (laughs) We're out and about. And our character gets caught. (laughs) So what are we when other people are watching us? Are we mature Christians enough that it wouldn't matter if they saw what you were doing? But if people are observing your conduct, your character, what do they see in you by your actions or your behavior toward those around you? And here's the challenge tonight. Is your conduct, your behavior such that it would glorify Christ? Now whether I'm observing or someone else is observing, is it character that would glorify God? Now, whether no one's watching or someone's watching, it ought to glorify Christ, would you agree? And whether somebody's watching or not watching, and, and, and my character really is what I'm doing when no one else is watching as well. But what would it be like? You know, I read a verse in Matthew, and it says in Matthew, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So people, Christ, telling us, People observe our lives. And so if they're observing your life as a Christian, what do they see? Would the things that they observe in your life, now think about this verse for just a minute, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Would they see those good works in your life? That character that ought to be seen by those that are around you. Now Paul calls to attention the church family to help them be mindful of their actions And how they speak to those who are observing their conduct. And so I think we're called to action here. I read these verses over several times. And they look like action verses to me. Things that we ought to, as believers, take action on. And so when I read these, I'm saying to myself, Paul's calling us to action. The first call is a call to warn folks. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. A call to warn people. I think the second one is a call to patience. You've heard my story on patience way too many times. And and the thing of it is, is that there's a call to patience, but then there's also a call to follow after good. A call to follow after good. Now, I want to talk about a call to warn. When you look at this, Paul says in verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. He said warn them. Now, I'm telling you, if you don't know what's unruly, you're not a very mature Christian, (laughs) But if Paul said, warn them that are unruly, there must be some level of maturity to the people that he's speaking to. And warning isn't beating people up. Warning is rebuking or telling them, hey, listen, that goes against Christian character. That goes against truth of God's Word. That goes against what the Bible says. And listen, I'll be honest with you folks, man's opinion does not matter to me when it comes to this. This is what matters. (laughs) Men tell me things all the time. Men have beliefs that go contrary to this truth. Men have thoughts. Men have been influenced by other men to think things that go contrary to this book. But this book is what matters. And when I read this, I'm saying, I ought to line up with things that are here. Would you agree? And people that go against it, he said, warn them. Not in a mean way, not in an angry way, but he simply said, warn them. Warn them that are unruly. Now, when he says the call to warn, there's such a wealth of wisdom uh, delivered to us in these two verses about behavior and believers. And this is words of encouragement coming from Paul. I don't think he's trying to discourage anybody. He's trying to encourage people. And I look at this, and he's saying regarding their actions, their attitude to those that are not performing as they should, awaiting the Lord's return. The real problem at Thessalonica, listen to what was really going on there. These people decided they weren't going to work their jobs anymore because they were just going to wait for Jesus Christ's return. They got lazy. And that started to happen. And Paul said, listen, you need to be at work. You need to be doing things. You need to be being the example to all of those that are around you. And those that are not, warn them. Tell them. And so he tells them to warn them. Now, I like it because he said, now, we exhort you, brethren. He's saying, I'm trying to encourage you to warn these other folks. It is words of encouragement, trying to encourage them. And that word exhort is to encourage. And Paul said, tell other family members that are unruly, those that have become idle, to stay on the job. He's addressing the idle who had given up on working because of the expected uh, Lord's return. And again, we find this warning is a caution. Reprove or gently admonish. It didn't say beat them up. said <laughs> so just warn them. Let them know. And let these believers know. Now notice that these warnings encompass two other types of Pointed out by Paul. Watch this now. Warn them that are unruly, and he says, Comfort the what? Comfort the what? He's trying to encourage the mature Christians to do something, isn't he? He said, Warn the unruly and comfort the what? Feeble minded. Now, folks, listen, uh, this isn't to be unkind. This is just Paul saying, Comfort the feeble minded. Encourage those Christians that are timid, faint hearted, and discouraged. He said, those that are in that kind of mode, the mature Christians are supposed to come up alongside those folks. And comfort, what's the word? Comfort the feeble-minded. The more weaker Christians, you should, as a mature Christian, come up alongside them and try to encourage them, try to help them. He said comfort. The word comfort is to not discourage, but to encourage, isn't it? To come up alongside them and help them, those that get easily discouraged. This warning is not to the feeble, but to the mature, and they are to come up alongside those folks that are discouraged and encourage them. Let me give you a verse, Romans 14.1. You might want to write this down and just put this in your margin maybe, but him that is weak in faith, receive ye. Him that is weak in faith, receive ye. He said, the weak in faith, we are to bring them in. To receive them is to accept them, isn't it? To, to take them in. And when he said receive them, it has the idea of bring them in under your wing. Bring them up alongside you. And and, and then you reach out to them. You encourage them, not discourage them. Warn them about things, not in a mean way, but admonishing them and saying, hey, listen, there's some things you ought to be concerned about. There's some things you ought to be doing with your Christian life. There's some actions that you ought to be taking. Comfort those that are (laughs) faint-hearted. Isn't that what he tells us? Notice what he also points out here. Support the weak. Warn the unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the what? Support the what? The weak. Support the people that are weak. Now here, this warning comes out, and support the weak is be devoted or pay attention and care for the weak, those that are morally and spiritually without strength. Those that are morally... And spiritually, without strength. He said, support them. Help them out. Mature Christians do that. Is that not what Paul's telling us? (laughs) He's saying, here's our duties. Warn the unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, those that are discouraged. Support the weak. Those people that are morally and spiritually sometimes what I call bankrupt. (laughs) And they need somebody to come up alongside them. Now, mature Christians come up alongside those people and help them out. They don't beat them down. They help them out. They teach them what is right. Now, because you teach somebody to do something, does it mean that they always do it? Huh? I don't know how many times I've trained my dog not to wet on the floor. Guess what my dog still does? And I have trained him and trained him and trained him, and trained him, and trained him. And he'll go good for a while. And then all of a sudden, the squirt bottle starts again. And he's off to the run. He's off to the races again, no matter how much I train him. How many of you have trained your children, and they're doing exactly everything you say every time you say it? I don't see any raised hands. My children do exactly what I tell them all the time. I want you to know something. People that need support are the morally and spiritually weak. Are you with me? We need to support them. Just because I tell them something doesn't mean they're going to do it. (laughs) But I need to reinforce it with the Word of God. Come up alongside them. Hey, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, warn them that are unruly. By the way, you need to be careful because here's what happens to us when the morally or spiritually weak or the feeble-minded, the faint-hearted, or those that are being unruly, don't do what we're asking them, we get tempted. And the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest thou also be what? Tempted. You don't want to be tempted. You want to have the maturity to walk up alongside that person and help move them in the right direction. Here's what can happen to us. We can become prideful. Am I right? Well, guess what? I told them and they did it. (laughs) Okay. Do you want a badge? Are you grateful that they listened to God? Are you with me? We ought to be grateful they listened to the Lord. And here's the thing. We ought to be Christians that are mature enough to be able to come up alongside these folks and be willing to warn them. Be willing to support them. Be willing to comfort them. And you say, man, it's just so hard. You know it is, isn't it? How many of you have your children do everything you say, every time you say it? I'd like to have the boys. I mean, I got a 21-year-old and a 19-year-old, and they walk past the trash can still yet and see that it's full. And I love my boys. But I could just push them up against the wall every time they walk past the trash can and when it's full. Now, I'm the only parent that thinks that way, amen? None of you have ever felt that way. I am just the wicked sinner in the room tonight. But the fact is, is we can lose patience with them too, can't we? And that's the next point. Watch what he says. (laughs) He says, support the weak, be patient toward how many men? How many of us are patient toward all men? (laughs) How many of us lose patience with the men pretty quickly, right? And uh, I was watching a guy the other night. I was going home. The weather was bad, and he's riding my tail. You know what I wanted to do, Brother Farna? Just hit the brakes real quick and see what happened to him when he went into a skid and come up behind me. But Then I figured I'd hurt my car. So then I'm following a salt truck home the other night, and I was thinking, I am never getting home. My patience was running out. I don't care if it's snow. I don't care if it's ice. This guy's like going 10 miles an hour. I want to get home. There's a blizzard in front of me. <laughs> get out of my way. You've never felt that from any driver behind you, have you, Bob? Passive. Pass <laughs> the call to patience. Even with the salt trucks. <laughs> Here it is. Be patient toward how many men? All men. It's not that easy sometimes, is it? When you look at this, when you consider being patient, it brings to mind persistence or diligence. And here it includes the idea of (laughs) even-tempered. How many of us are not even-tempered sometimes? It's pretty uneven sometimes, isn't it? And it's not easily annoyed or you're not easily angered. And I have to tell you, sometimes I just get annoyed. How many times have you walked out and you've seen something that your kids have done and you know that you've told them, I don't know how many times, and you're annoyed now. You can't wait for them to come home because you're about to tell them how annoyed you are when they walk through the door. Hey, dad, how's your day? Not good at all. And I'm annoyed. I'm angered. I'm not patient. I'm worn out. My patience, how many of you have said this? My patience has worn what? thin with you. And we run out of patience. But the Bible says, be patient toward how many men? So, Ecclesiastes says this, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Now, when I read that, the first time I read that, I said, yeah, that makes sense, but you know what he's telling us? (laughs) You see, the patient in spirit is better. If you're not patient, you're proud. That's your attitude. My pride's taken over now. And this will get done. Now, often a man or a woman may be tempted to act like a fool in certain situations. Now, I know none of you have ever done that, and neither have I. Now you're all looking at me like, Pastor, why are you lying to us right from the pulpit, right? We've all acted like a fool at some point, have we not? Okay, that's the point where you say amen. We've all acted foolish at times, haven't we? We've acted a fool. Uh, We've acted it out. And we act like a fool in certain situations, But the call to the mature believer is to be patient toward all men, to be long-spirited, to have long patience or endure during the most difficult circumstances. A call to patience for the Christian to reason through or think through biblically before they speak or act upon a situation. How many of you know that if you'd have just taken one extra breath or if you'd have just thought just one more second before you either opened your mouth or acted upon something, things wouldn't have turned out like they did? Anybody with me on that one? If I'd have just went... (sighs) <sighs> for just one more second, right? It might not have turned out like it did. Now, when I say turned out like it did, it didn't turn out good if I'd have just waited a second. But pride gets in the way, doesn't it? And I'm going to act this thing out. And so when he says, be patient, he's telling us, this is Paul clarifying that we're not to be easily annoyed or angered, bringing into life uh Uh, Of other Christians, uh, a bad-tempered spirit, but a more even-tempered spirit, so that they see something different in you, teaching those who need comfort and support that you got to be even-tempered. An angry person can become irrational. How many of you know that? An angry person can become irrational. They're not thinking, they're not speaking clear, they're not thinking clear, they become irrational. And when they become irrational in so doing, Paul put forth this point See that none render evil for evil unto any man. Look at what he said. He said, be patient toward all men and see that none render evil for evil unto any man. (laughs) When you're not patient, you're going to get evil. You're going to get angry. You're going to get annoyed. You're going to act out. You're going to become irrational at times. And God's telling us not to behave in such a manner. And so any angry person can become irrational. In so doing, Paul puts forth this thought But patience will help the Christian to avoid irrational behavior. And irrational behavior is a choice. Listen to what I just said. Irrational behavior is a choice. That other person cannot make you act irrational. You choose to do so. You make a choice to behave like that. You acting irrational accomplishes nothing for the Lord. And here's the thing. That action then you say, well, if, if I act irrational, uh, they should just pay attention to me now. What happens to the other person when you begin to act irrational? What do they generally do? They begin to do the same thing, don't they? Yet, you know, you go and you read the Bible, and you read in Romans chapter 12, and, and, and the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, right? So the Bible says, be angry and do what? Sin not. When I become irrational, what am I doing? I'm involved in sin, aren't I? And so I become irrational, and the other person becomes irrational. Now we're both angry. And what has it done for the Lord? Not a single solitary thing, just my actions being bore out in a way that doesn't bring glory to God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your angry, irrational behavior. (laughs) Or that they may see your what? What? works that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, sometimes whenever you stop and don't act irrational, the irrational person doesn't know what to do, so they have to stop because they're like, why are they not responding? <laughs> why are they not acting like I am? And you can glorify God in that situation. And so in this situation, it's a call to patience. And an irrational man is one that thinks and acts uh, upon what Paul describes as evil. That word evil that he's written in this passage is the idea that it's worthless, it's depraved, it's injurious to others, it's injurious actions toward uh, others, and it's words or physical harm that you bring to someone else. That's that word evil. And see that you render not evil for evil, right? We're to do good to those that do evil to us. We're to do good to those people. You say, man, who wrote this book? God did. I didn't write it, okay? I'm just telling you what he told us to do. But we ought to have some rational behavior. By the way, this is not contingent upon whether a man or woman is saved or unsaved. I want you to notice this. It said, be patient toward how many men? Did it say just the saved, just the brethren, just those in church, just those who are right here in this room right now? No, it did not. It said that we're supposed to act like that toward how many people? Now, I gave you an illustration this morning when I was going to the marathon station this morning, or last night, uh, to stop to pick up that uh, epoxy and that resin. That is a true story. And I was on my way out there. I was so mad, Chris, because I had something I had to get done. And this thing, that, that, that resin was so hard inside that tube. And I'm thinking, who sells somebody something like this? Do they not know? And it's true. I was talking to myself so much, I thought, when I get out there, I'm going to give this guy, just, man, I'm going to unload on him. And Michael said, are you okay, Dad? I said, no, I am not, son. And he said, I think you've built this up into something already. Do you, Dad? Shut up, Michael. Right? And when I walked in, think about this. He was the rational one. I walked in and I laid it on the counter and I said, that thing's hard as a rock. You know what I was looking for, Aaron? I was ready for a fight, man. I want my eight bucks or I want another package. He said, go grab another one, real kind, soft, Jim. Just as soft as can be and it was like, Psst. Okay, thanks. Got in the car and drove home. How many times have we gotten irrational? We build it up, don't we? And we're not patient. But here's the thing that lack of patience speaks volumes to other people, doesn't it? And they go, don't, hey, don't you go to Calvary Chapel? You. Shut up. Right? But they see our behavior, don't they? Our actions, our attitude. Now I want to get you to get a hold of this, okay? This is not contingent upon whether a man or woman is saved. Be patient toward all men. Be long-spirited. Endure. 2 Peter 3, 9. One of the things that God said in the Scriptures is, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. I want to tell you something. Patience draws people to Christ. Patience draws people people to Christ. Do you know how I know that? God was long-suffering. God desires to do what? Draw people to himself, isn't it? So he's a long-suffering God. He's a patient God. Now, more mature Christians have to avoid high-mindedness and allow patience to rule their hearts, even as God is long-suffering we must practice this call to patience in reaching out to others saved and unsaved the life. The last thought is this. Notice this: He said, "Don't render evil to e- evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good." Now notice this. Here it comes up again, both among yourselves. So that means us. Are you with me? And what is the next phrase? <laughs> and to what? Amen. All men. How are we to behave? How are we to act? What are the things that we're supposed to do as mature Christians? Warn them that are unruly. Right? Comfort the feeble-minded. We are to support the weak. We're to be patient toward all men. (laughs) I didn't write the book. Are you listening? But Then he said, don't render evil to evil unto any man. Right? But what did he tell us to do now? Ever, notice the word, ever follow. That means never stop doing this. Are you with me? Ever follow that which is good. Never stop doing good. Never stop doing what is right. Never stop doing the right thing. No matter what your circumstances are, you're to ever follow that which is good amongst yourselves and to what? All men, everybody. (laughs) That's how we're going to behave. So when you look at this, we're to pursue those practices. In Matthew 7, 16-20, you shall know them by their, what? By their fruits. You can look at someone's life, you can see the fruits in their life. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth, what? Evil fruit. That depraved stuff is what it brings forth. So when my patience wears thin and and I'm not willing to warn and I'm not willing to comfort, I'm not willing to support, I'm not willing to not render evil for evil, I'm not willing to be patient toward these men, what happens to me? I become an evil person. My actions, my attitude become injurious toward those that are watching me, that are observing me. And it can hurt more than it can help. And he says a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. A good tree, what did I just say? A good tree cannot bring forth what? Evil fruit. Ever follow that which is good. A good tree cannot bring forth what? Ever follow that which is what? Good. A good tree cannot bring forth what? Evil fruit. You're going to do good. (laughs) And you're going to do the right things. And he says... A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. A evil tree can't bring what? No matter what I think, when I act a fool, when I become irrational, it does nothing for God. My anger does nothing for God. Me getting upset, mad, angry, uh, just yelling, screaming, getting upset with people, it does nothing for God. Because an evil tree cannot bring forth what? Good fruit. It can't happen. Your bad actions aren't going to produce good results. Your bad attitude isn't going to produce a good situation. Your bad spirit is not going to draw people to Christ. It can't do it, it doesn't work according to the scriptures. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down. God said, if it's not doing what it's supposed to be, we're going to cut it down. We're going to get it out of the way. You cut the tree down, it's not useful anymore. We don't need it for anything. And you look at this, and he says, and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall, what? Ever follow that which is good. We ought to do good, right? We ought to do the good things. So when Paul points to this out to the church at Thessalonica, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men, It is not a one-time action. It's not just... And listen, how many of you have heard people say, (laughs) we tried that once. I wonder how many spankings you got from me, Connie, in your years. How many spankings do you think you got? You don't want to count them? Okay, yeah. But he would do something, and I'd spank him. And he'd do it again, and I'd spank him. And he'd do it again, and I'd what? What? Spanking, you had to keep what? Correcting the behavior, didn't you? When I look at this, this is not a one time action. Here's what people have shared with me. I mean, I've heard people say that, oh, I've prayed about it once. Or I've prayed about it, and I say, well, how often have you prayed about it? More than once. Does that mean twice? <laughs> or have you prayed about it? Are you with me? Are we really taking the necessary steps and actions that we ought to be taking? Are we really following through on what we're saying? And it's not a one-time action, but a lifestyle of the believer. And we're to consider the idea of ever follow that which is good. In verse 21, it says, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. That means stay stuck with it. Super glue yourself to it. <laughs> Stick with the good stuff. Prove all things, though. How do you prove it? According to the scriptures. And so in Luke 6, 45, he said, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is Good. By the way, folks, what comes out of your mouth is usually what's been in your heart. What comes out of your mouth has developed in here somewhere, hasn't it? When I read this, it says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth... What's in me comes what? Out of me. How many of you have heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage what? Out. Whatever you're putting in your mind, it's going to start coming out of your mouth. And you're either putting in truth in the word of God, or you're putting something else in you. Evil, wicked thoughts, uh, your own attitude, spirit, actions. I mean, I don't know. But whatever I'm doing, it's going opposite of the truth of God's word. And so... For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Romans twelve nine says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abore that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. That means stick to it, doesn't it? Cleave to the good. Stick to the good. In Ephesians 4, one nine, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now wait a minute. He said, let love be without dissimilation, cleave to that which is good, corrupt, communications, talking, isn't it? Uh, He said, (laughs) but that which is good to the use of edifying. He said in 1 Peter 3.13, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Over and over again, the Bible keeps talking to us about doing what? Doing good, doesn't it? You see, Christians ought to do good. (laughs) We ought to do good. And, and, and if somebody has an excuse, let it not be you. If someone has an excuse for not following God, let it not be you. Be good in the things that you do. And he goes on and he tells us in 3 John 1.11, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God. And then he says, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? And you say to yourself, okay, I guess I should do good then, right? You say, preacher, what is good? Read your Bible. Amen? Warn the unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Do not render evil for evil. Be patient toward how many men? All men. Follow, ever follow that which is what? Good. And he says, not just among ourselves... But to how many people? All men. To everyone. So mature Christians deliver what is good in the lives of those around them. And I believe this takes effort. It takes action. It's not just a one-time effort, but it's an action to be practiced and to be able to put into effect those practices. You have to know what God's Word says. If you know not what God's Word says, how are you going to put anything into practice? And so, we have to read it, we have to study it, and we have to put it into practice. Now, I want to tell you, this is just two verses. And just in these two verses, how much did God say you're responsible for these actions as a mature Christian? You are responsible. And we must practice this call to follow after good. Let's pray. Father, thank you.